Hello and welcome once again to the Film Score Junkie podcast with me, Charlie Nelson. And in this episode, my guest is American composer, conductor and orchestrator, Timothy Brock, who since the mid-80s has been composing and conducting numerous scores for silent films. The interview was recorded last week at the El Cinema Ritrovato Festival in Bologna, Italy. So Tim, thank you very much for giving up your time to take part. Oh, it's a great pleasure. So to start with, um, how did you start scoring silent films? Well, um, in 1986, um, I was asked to compose my first orchestral score for silent film. And I was 23 at the time. And my first film was Pandora's Box. And um, thinking, of course, at the age of 23, that one can do just about anything. I thought, no problem. So I gave myself a whole, like, two months <laughs> to compose the score. And, you know, literally, the, the score was cut and pasting and wet ink right up to the first performance. And it was, you know, an unmitigated disaster. And, but I learned a lot from that, that point on. But, I mean, I started doing, being interested in silent film when I was very young, um, and I, uh, would because my dad was a was a preacher minister. Mm -hmm. He um, he had a he had a church that allowed me to sort of do kind of uh, being the preacher son. I could do practically anything I wanted. I learned how to run a projector, and we would try to rent or not rent, but borrow films from my local library. And I learned how to project and then play music to those films of whatever I can get my hands on. And I was about 12, 13 years old, something like that. Um, and so that was interesting to me. But of course, the films available to me were like Beaver Dam documentaries and ski films mm -hmm. and from the 1960s, you know, or, uh, you know, industrial Grand Coulee Dam uh, documentaries, things like that. So it wasn't very interesting viewing and it certainly wasn't very good playing. But it's the concept of doing silent film was great to me because I loved watching silent films on television and in my local pizza parlors, which they used to do where I lived. So it was I had an interest in it when I was very young. But then I wrote my first score, as I said, when I was 23. And um, I wrote essentially a, a new film score almost once a year since then. In addition to your original silent film scores, um, you have you have become you have become renowned for your numerous performances of the silent film scores of Charlie Chaplin. Uh, could you possibly tell us a bit about your a bit about the rest a bit about the restorations that you have done of the Chaplin scores? You know, for several years before I started working for the Chaplins, I was restoring other original scores, um, including. Um, the Cecil B. DeMille's Carmen, mm -hmm. um, the Shostakovich score to New Babylon, um, and some other short films uh, by Max Booting, and you know a few other interesting projects. Because I love, I love music that is um, quite rare, especially film music from this time period, and it was just very interesting to me. So I was doing performances. Of, the, of these works, plus, of course, conducting existing silent film scores, including my own. 
And then in 1998, the chaplains called me and said, would you be interested in coming to Paris to come and look at the, these five boxes that has the word modern times on them? Um, and we, we know the original scores in there, but we'd like to know if it's complete and do you think it, you could do a live performance version of it? And I said, sure, you know, when do you want to do that? I was in the, you know, I was already conducting the Olympia Chamber Orchestra at this time. Um, and they knew me, my work from the Los Angeles Chamber Orchestra. In fact, I was under contract with them. And they, they said, sure, when do you want to do that? Well, could you fly out to Paris, you know, like in a week or two? So I said, no problem. So I just went there and I saw these five boxes and opened them up. And I knew this music, of course, very well, and being a Chaplin fan. Um, and I recognized what all the sections were and put it in the right order. And so there's seven different versions of this and there's like two different versions of this and 12 different versions of that. And in the end, the, the, restore, the, the score was about a half a meter in height when you stack it all up. And I also knew David, David Raxon already at this point, of course, and he was the music director for Chaplin for Modern Times. Mm -hmm. And so uh, he was of great help and he liked to mostly just tell stories about what it was like to work at the Chaplin Studios every day. But he was also, he didn't have much of a memory of it, considering he was 23 at the time. So, um, and he just got done working for Gershwin. In fact, it was Gershwin that recommended David Raxon to Chaplin. And um, so I started doing that in 1998, and they subsequently bought out my contract with the Los Angeles Chamber Orchestra. Uh, and I started working for them ever since. And so it's been uh, 24 years now. And there's always something to do. So as well as you have done pretty much, I don't think you've done all of the Chaplin scores. You've certainly done all of the Chaplin. I have done all the Chaplin scores. Oh, wow. Because I, I heard recently that you were doing uh, Limelight, if I'm right. Oh, I've, I've done all the silent scores. Ah, yeah, that's yeah. what I meant. But I am doing, I'm also restoring currently The Great Dictator. Because oh. we're going to do The Great Dictator live starting next year. Oh, that'll be great to hear then. Will, will that be here in Bologna? I doubt it because they just did it. Oh, yeah. So, um, we, no, no, it's, it's quite popular already. It's, people are wanting to book that well in advance. What is your favorite Chaplin silent film score? Well, it depends. It depends on what I haven't done in a while. My sentimental favorite, of course, is Modern Times because that was the first thing I did. But if I don't do City Lights for, you know, a good three or four months, six months, then I tend to miss it. And I think, oh, that's such a great score. I would like to do that now. You know, so I get, I get occasionally, I get, uh, it just, it depends on what I miss the most. But I do Chaplin all year round, and I have about 80 to 100 concerts a year. And a good significant portion of that is Chaplin, of course, because I'm the, I'm the, the only restorer of his scores. Uh, and so it's just, people want to do the, person who knows the music the best of course I've been serving as the music restorer for the Chaplin family for that whole time so 
Um, I'd say my sentimental favorite is Modern Times. But I get the, maybe the most joy from probably City Lights. And Gold Rush is just really great adventure. It's just the Gold Rush is very difficult and long. And it's, um, it takes it out of you. So I don't want to do that one too often. But when I do on occasion, it's great, great pleasure. Could you possibly give us uh, a kind of insight into the reconstruction process? Sure. Um, it de again, depends on the film and how well the archives were kept. And all of that is really based on whimsical actions that occur at the time of recording. Chaplin was really good about actually collecting all the materials. He has a tremendous, a tremendous archive and the, the files are pretty complete. Most of the most of the reconstructions uh, are come from me having the original score, which is used in pencil, and the various versions of that score. And I look at it and I I figure out you know kind of what what was the, what was the score that they ended up using in the recording you know because Charlie when they record things would he would do it just like he made films he would do things over and over and over again making changes and and changing little bits here and little bits there saying there's no I don't want the cellos here I would like the, just a single bassoon playing or I'd like the oboe to play the solo no and now I'd like to have the trumpet play that solo instead what does that sound like you know so he's making all these changes and so somebody like Alfred Newman um, who's a great great conductor and a great orchestrator himself would you know say okay uh, oboe player hand your part to the trumpet player. The trumpet player, write these notes down. So he would write it down and then give him his oboe part back or, or you know, say, okay, cellos don't play here, but let's give one cello part to the bassoon. The bassoon would have to write it down on any piece of paper they had. So I was finding bits of, especially modern times, bits of, of passages from modern times on the back of restaurant menus and laundry slips parking tickets, things, just whatever people have, whatever piece of paper they happen to have or on the backs of something else, on the back of it, hopefully if it's an empty sheet, they'd write it on the back. But nobody, of course, kept that in, in great order. So Modern Times took me 14 months to restore because it was in pieces and it was a tremendous amount of detective work to figure out what was what and was that the piece they used or was it an early version, you know? So that can take, consume a lot of time. City Lights, for example, was not that hard. Uh, it took me about nine months to restore it. And the key is, what I mentioned before, what I started with saying was the, the fact that you have the full score, but again, he made so many changes that the score becomes irrelevant after how many times Charlie changed your orchestration. Hmm. So the key was the player's parts. And Charlie kept the player's parts for everybody, which was great. So I would read from the piccolo part, to the flute part, to the oboe part, to the clarinet part, to the bassoon part, to horns, the trumpets, trombones, tuba, percussion, harps, piano, uh, and then all the string parts individually for every 30 seconds of music. With modern times, I was able to restore about 10 to 15 seconds per day, but something like modern times, which was also a smaller orchestra, only, you know, I was able to do two, like a couple minutes a day, minute and a half, couple minutes a day. Mm -hmm. But it is a time, time consuming process. And you have, we are lucky, the fact that we have recordings 
of everything Charlie ever wrote. So you have to, mind you, they're 1931 recordings or 35 yeah. or 36, 1940. They're not very good recordings, but we have the acetates. And so we are able to really listen really well as to what was played and what was not played. Now, Chaplin, um, if I'm right, if I'm right in thinking, was an arranger's nightmare when working on those scores. And there, if I heard that you, I heard you saying this. There was a there was a, a little club set up in Hollywood called the Badge of Honors Club, which consisted of all the musical directors that yeah. Chaplin sacked. David Raxon told me that. He said it's just a little. It's the, the Badge of Honor Club, that's what he called it. It was a, um, all the guys that ever got fired by Charlie were part of this group and they would just get together once in a while and just say, wasn't that crazy? And Charlie was a great musician, but my God, you know, he was so stubborn and all sorts of different things like that. Um, because, you know, Alfred Newman got fired, David Raxon got fired, uh, Max Tear got fired. All the, you know, I don't think Meredith Wilson got fired. He, but it's because he was very famous at this time, because he had his own radio show and you know he was quite a well. And he wrote the Music Man. Yeah, later he did. Yeah, but at this time he he didn't. But he was on the radio a lot. He was a he was a band leader on the radio, so he was quite well known. Um, I think it was like Meredith Wilson's Music Hour. So he had his own radio show, national radio show. So he was quite well known, so he's not going to fire Meredith Wilson, I'm sure. And but Meredith Wilson thought he was a great mm. musician. And also, um, I, I don't think these ended, ended up in the Badge of Honor Club. After Chaplin got kicked out of America in the 50s, uh, there was um, Eric James and Eric Rogers. Eric Rogers, a lot of British people will know, well, uh, uh, some people will know Eric Rogers as the guy who scored a lot of the Carry On films. Right, exactly. Yeah, I'd never, I'd never, I'd never met him. Eric James, um, reason he not, never got fired from Charlie is because he did precisely what Charlie wanted <laughs> from the very start. Um, he was very loyal to Charlie and wrote down everything he played and didn't encourage him to change anything. And it's, you know, Eric James deserves a lot of credit in being able to write down a lot of that material from, the, from 1959 onwards, from the Chaplin Review all the way to um, um, Princess of Hong Kong. Princess of Hong Kong? Yeah. Countess of Hong Countess Kong. Countess of Hong Kong, excuse me. Um, and so, he has a great body of work, and he should be very proud of that. However, Chaplin's scores, there wasn't quite enough material, and it's extremely repetitive um, because Eric James did precisely what Chaplin wanted. He didn't try, he tried to sort of encourage him to make it develop it a little more, and he's like, no, I want it to sound just like that, and if you don't do it, off with you, you know? so. He didn't join that Badge of Honor Club because he, he essentially did, but the music suffered a little bit, I must say. Um, Which accounts for why when you uh, adapted the score for the kid, you made changes in some places. I got permission from the family to develop it in the way that I believe 
as somewhat of a, a, a guy who knows a little bit something about the music from the 1920s and 1930s, developing it in a way that David Raxon would have developed it, like he did Modern Times, um, or Alfred Newman, or Eddie, Ro Eddie Powell, um, all these guys, or Carmen Dragon as well. Was, all these guys were expert developers and orchestrators. And you know they encouraged Charlie to say, "Keep, you know, can you just, just we don't want to do the same thing here. We want to do something different." David Raxon, the way he described it to me was, he would say, "Charlie, we can't just have in modern times. We can't just have da 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 da. That's not enough. We need all the da da da. Then we need a key change da 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 and so forth." But essentially, that's Charlie's music. It still is. But he developed that so brilliantly to make it sound so mechanical, you know. And that's what a good orchestrator does. Charlie, I, when he hears, when he heard that, he was like, "That's too much stuff going on. I can't hear the tune." I know, but you can't just live on the tune. You have to do more than that. And he would get very, very angry with him. And he didn't, you know, fire him right away, but he did fire him after one week. Mm. Well, I've heard, I've listened to your recording that you did of the Modern Times score, and that assembly line cutie, the bit where Chaplin's doing up the nuts on yeah. the um, on the conveyor belt, and he yeah. goes into the machinery. You've got you've got lots of stuff going on there. You've got the um, oh god the. Um, um, you've got uh, parts of the orchestra playing in triplets and other parts like playing, you know, uh, uh, quavers. So you've got like... Da, ba, da, ba, da, ba, da, ba, da, ba, da. And yeah, eventually he goes into the yeah, machinery. Right. He does. Uh, you know, that's... I mean, none of that's me. I mean, I didn't change anything. I just literally wrote down what was on everybody's little bits of paper and kind of tried to figure out what, how everything fit together. But those kinds of ingenious orchestration things, that's Eddie Powell, David Raxon, Carmen mm. Dragon, Ross. I mean, they were all, he had, I think, Jim Lochner can tell you this, but I think he had eight different orchestrators working on Modern Times. I mean, that's a lot of music. 87 minutes worth of music, after all. That is the kind of work that goes on uh, with musicals. Yeah. Um, and not really with instrumental film scores, but Chaplin. Chaplin oh, I was disagree. I mean, look at Hans Zimmer. All that he, I mean, right? All his stuff is kind of farmed out. A lot of it. I mean, I don't know. I don't want to say anything bad about anybody, but I know that there's a great many composers who have on hand three or four orchestrators, and in big films. I mean, imagine if they, that's 40 minutes worth, 45 minutes worth of music. You know, imagine doing double that with two or three orchestrators, that's just too much work. Hmm. And uh, by the way, Char it's not like Charlie didn't do any of that. Charlie sat down with the orchestrators when they would write a tune. They would write a short score. Yeah. They'd write a sketch, a piano sketch, of what Charlie was playing on the piano or on the violin or on the organ. And David would write it down. And then David would make a short sketch of it uh, with orchestration ideas that Charlie had. So he would say, I want this to be an oboe, which it is an oboe in the film. And then 
And so I went to the cellos to go, uh, 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 And he would describe how he heard it in his head, it going. And if the orchestrator didn't do what he said, he said, that's not what I said. And he, his memory was unbelievable. And then he would go in and change it on the fly. He said, no, that's not right. Or if it's just so different and he didn't like it at all, he'd stop the session and say, we're going to start again. And it took him, uh, took him six months just for the music. As well as a composer and a conductor and also a, a reconstructionist, um, you have orchestrated people's music. Um, you've orchestrated uh, some of Neil Brown's scores, mm -hmm. uh, like uh, Blackmail and Underground and Easy Street. What's, yeah, we, it, what's we, it like working with him? Well, Neil's great. Neil's a great pal, and we he he would write these scores knowing that I was going to orchestrate what he wrote. So it's not like he wrote these pieces for piano and I went in later and orchestrated them. He, he gave me a rough semblance of what he expected it to sound like. So, I mean, I literally had to orchestrate for him, uh, knowing what works and what doesn't work, but the color ideas were his. Hmm. So Neil always has he has a great musical memory, and he is able to um, come up with just the right attention to the, 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 yeah, the color of the piece. And so he would come up with some kind of version of how he expected it to sound, and then I tried to imitate that. Yes, um, in the case of Underground, uh, it reminds me of when I was speaking to Neil back in October. Uh, he told me about the um, what I call the falling strings, which is the which he which he got from uh, Murder on the Orient Express, uh -huh. Richard Rodney Bennett's score, and he said you were you helped him a lot with those when it came to orchestrating them. Yeah, just how to voice them. It's I mean, it's that's I mean that's my job. Plus, I like to do things for a pal, so it's. We love working together on, in the, on those things. And I'm looking forward to Hounds of, Hounds of the Baskervilles, to Hound of the Baskervilles uh, this December. Because we haven't done it in a long time. Last thing we did was Wind in the Willows for the BBC. Orchestrated that as well. I also, um, didn't you do Christmas Carol? I oh, no, Robin Hood's last thing I did with him. Ah. Yeah. No, I didn't do Christmas Carol. Uh, I think that was another pal of of, uh, of Neil's, Russ something, I don't remember. Um, no, that was somebody else. Mm. I, I didn't have time to do it. Um, but, no, the last thing we did was the three-hour Robin Hood with Doug, Douglas Fairbanks. That was great. Mm. So to round this off, um, could you, um, uh, could, um, ca can we talk a bit about your um, recent score for Foolish Wives, which you did sure. the other day? Sure. Uh, yeah. What do you want to know? <laughs> well, um, could you, you know, like, well, you were commissioned to do it by the San Francisco Silent Film Festival. That's right. Yeah. Um, it was commissioned for me two years ago before the pandemic, then the pandemic hit, and then two years later we premiere it after it, it, it had been done. In fact, when I started conducting it in rehearsal, 
I kind of forgot that I lots of parts that I wrote. I was like, oh, that's right. I wrote this two years ago. I barely remember that. And then it all started coming back to me. Um, that score is unusual for me. It's not in my wheelhouse, really, in terms of uh, it's not a genre that I know very well. I don't know any Eric von Stroheim films. I mean, as a composer, I mean. And so I had to get used to that style, which is very different. And I wasn't quite sure how to approach it musically. And also, it's very long. It's two hours and 32 minutes, 34 minutes. So I wasn't quite sure what to do. Um, but I thought, you know, I'm going to just kind of go with the flow of something that would have been typical of 1922 in the fact that uh, obviously in 1920, there's a, there's a, there's a, of course the Romberg score, which is the original score from that, which I purposely did not study at all. I'd heard it before, but I had not, I heard it many, many, many years ago, but I did not use it at all because I didn't want to be influenced by it at all. So I thought, write something completely new. And I just thought of Stroheim and his character, Karasmin, which he was a, a fake Russian count. I thought, okay, probably the approach is, even though this, it's set in Monte Carlo, I have no idea what, what music from Monte Carlo would sound like, you know, really, frankly. It's hard to identify tax haven music, <laughs> but um, the, I thought fake Russian. So I thought to myself, well, you know, what I'm going to what I'm do is I'm going to I'm going to use some actual authentic Russian me, me, melodic structures and melodic tunes. These little piano pieces by a composer, a fairly fairly unknown composer named Lyapunov, Sergei mm -hmm. Lyapunov, and who I actually played through the music and really loved. I thought, this is really great, but they're tiny. There's these tiny little pieces. Nothing big, no big sonatas or anything at all. Mm -hmm. They're just little parlor music, essentially. And I thought, I'm gonna use these tunes and then mix it with what? With things that he doesn't able, isn't able to come up with, I would write myself in his style. So I tried to do that and then wrote things that were very American for the ambassador and his wife that were sort of modernistic, um, not modern in terms of atonal modern, but modern in terms of modern American sort of chordal harmony uh, type of approach and just kind of blended them together. Um, I was really happy with it. I thought it worked out pretty well. Did you enjoy doing it on the piazza the other night? Oh yeah. Yeah, it's just long. It's hard to start a film at 10 o'clock at night. A two and a half hour film at 10, starting at 10 o'clock at night outside. And then, you know, starting around the middle of the second act, um, you know, about 12, 15, midnight, 12, 30, midnight. That's when a lot of really drunk people <laughs> are still lingering and then discovering that there's 5,000 people in the piazza watching a film and they decide to partake. That's always a little bit rough, but still, it's for the community, and we had a great time. It was great. It was, I must say, though, doing it in San Francisco was a great pleasure. We did it at the Castro Theater, and we don't know what's going to happen with the Castro Theater now. We're not even sure if it's even going to survive, so that was nice to do that in there. Um, and then, um, then to bring it home, because I live here in Bologna, 
it's uh, it's great. And then I'm doing it next in uh, in Spain, and then I'm doing it in Lyon, France, and uh, who knows where after that. Well, that sounds great. Um, so, Tim, thank you very much oh, for great taking pleasure, part. I like talking to you. It was fun.